please join me in the reading of the Litany of Invitation and Confession, which is printed in your order of worship. We gather for worship in the light of God's grace. We gather for worship in the light of God's love. We gather for worship in the light of God's justice. Jesus called his followers the light of the world. Sisters and brothers, we are forgiven. Let us walk in the light of God's grace and generosity. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church on this good day. It is good to be God's people in this good place for the worship of God, and especially if you are a guest today, we welcome you. There is on the edge of your order of service a welcome card. If you would take a moment, fill that out, drop it in the offering plate when it's passed. It'll help me connect name and face uh, with you, so welcome. Also, for any of you who have a prayer request, Place that on the card as well and drop it in the plate. It's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. Well, as we have been uh, living in these days after the Epiphany, we come to the last Sunday today, which is always Transfiguration Sunday, and that's what the texts are about. Because by the time we get here next Sunday, we will already be in the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday is this coming Sunday, is this coming Wednesday. And so as we celebrate this day of transfiguration, all of the texts that we'll be reading today will be about that. In fact, on the front cover of your order of worship, uh, Raphael's famous painting about the transfiguration is there. I'll say more about that uh, in the sermon. The first lesson you hear from the Old Testament will be cryptic, if, if they all aren't. But that one will be especially because it's a reference to Moses going up the mountain and his, to receive the law and his face shining so brightly he had to wear a veil over his face so he wouldn't scare people. All of that's in that first lesson. The second lesson is uh, from one of the epistles that talks about our transforming ministry and it says, may we not lose heart. We certainly need that these days. And then the gospel lesson will be about this picture. The transfiguration of Jesus up on the mountain, 
but then down in the valley, a time of tribulation. We open our hearts as well as our ears to the readings from this book, Welcome to Worship. Moses comes down from the mountain of God and his face glows. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us say our prayers. God of the mountaintop and God of the lowest valley, come dwell with us and in us this morning. Just as you are in the highest and lowest places, so too do our prayers seek to reach. They reach for newly born grandchildren, Micah and Caroline, Olivia. We give you thanks for their lives and pray for health and blessing. Our prayers reach those walking the path of grief and memory. For those who are dying at this hour, those whose minds and bodies are failing, May your peace, which surpasses all understanding, come today. We pray for our children. Finishing up a school year with all its joys and anxieties, may you watch over these precious ones and give strength, hope, and endurance to their parents. And we pray for this world, that its warring ways may turn to peaceful coexistence, that rage and violence might be transformed by love. Some days we feel as Moses might have basking in the glory of your presence, and other days we feel as the disciples sometimes felt, failed and frustrated at life's pains and sorrows. We've been brought low by grief, we've been lifted up by joy, elevated by the grace of your Holy Spirit, and denigrated by our own tendency towards sin. So draw us towards you, just as Jesus promised to draw all people to himself so that we might experience the renewal of our minds in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The enlightening power of Jesus Christ and the encouragement to not lose heart. A reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. 
Since then we have such hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or falsify God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. Here ends the second lesson. everybody. It's so good to see you today. See, everybody. Levon, you got a place, man? Okay. I gotta have this stuff right here, because we're going to talk about it in just a second. This is the good stuff. Well, hey, today after church, we are going to do something kind of special, aren't we? Yeah, what are we doing? We're gonna, what are we going to do, Jolene? We're going to eat Waffle House. What? We're going to have a Fat Tuesday, a pre-Fat Tuesday uh, meal. And we're going to learn a little bit about our season of Lent. But you, but you, I'm hungry too, Levon. But you can't start Lent without first having Ash Wednesday. And so today, after church, we're going to learn a little bit more about what I have in here. Do you see what they are? Can you see? These are ashes, and I'm going to show them to you right now. But you have to sit. So, these are <laughs> these are ashes right here, and you see they're kind of dirty. If I put them on my on my wrist right here, they kind of they make a little mess, and they make a mess on my fingers, and I can I can brush it away, but it's still a little bit messy, a little bit dirty, right? You know, on Ash Wednesday, we take these ashes and we mark ourselves in that shape. And we put it right up here on our foreheads. And we remind ourselves when we do this, we say, from dust you have come and to dust you shall return. And that's a reminder about, about, about death, but also it's a reminder about, about sin, Because sin 
is something that we do, right? Sometimes we're mean to each other. Sometimes someone is mean to us. Sometimes we hurt each other. Sometimes we hurt God. And sometimes we hurt ourselves. And that's when we sin. But on Ash Wednesday, we mark ourselves with a cross to remind ourselves of that little bit of sin. But you know what? At the end of Lent, we start with Ash Wednesday, and at the end, we have Easter. And Easter comes, and when it does, Jesus, although he dies, he's resurrected. And when he is, he comes, and he takes all that sin away. And that is something special and definitely some good news to celebrate. And we're going to learn more about that today. You've been such good listeners. Let's have a little prayer. Dear God, thank you for your son. Thank you for his great sacrifice. And thank you for forgiving us of all of our sins. In your name that we pray, amen. We're going to have some music time with Miss Mary Lou now. Okay. Jesus is transfigured on the mountaintop, and he heals a sick boy in the valley whom the disciples could not heal. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. 
But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Today's gospel lesson is uh, two for the price of one. There are two stories in this lesson, kind of like two sides of a coin. There's up on the mountaintop with Jesus, and then there's down below in the valley with the rest of the disciples. But when Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell these two stories, they always place them side by side. It's always in tandem, a duet singing harmony. I got to thinking about that and wondering why. Why would these two stories always be placed side by side in these Gospels? Well, it may be that the answer is simple chronology. One day, then the next day, what goes up must come down. Maybe as simple as calendaring. But I think it's more than that. Because I think these two stories belong together, the mountain and the valley, because they are like our lives together, who live with that kind of oscillation in life. If we're going to live a wholehearted life, then we need to be able to hold both the mountaintop and the valley together. Now, we could tell just one story at a time, as we sometimes do on Transfiguration Sunday. Just tell the mountain story. Leave off the valley below. It's a dandy story. Um, A mountaintop experience. Can't you just want to live for that? Uh, Now, I grew up um, talking about, as as a youth and as a college student, about mountaintop experiences. I've checked with seminarians, and they have no idea what I'm talking about, though. Mountaintop experience. Now, if you're from Louisiana, nearly anywhere else is a mountaintop, you know. 
And so every year, our church youth group or a church that I pastored as a young man, we would travel to Glorieta, New Mexico, or to Ridgecrest, North Carolina, where Kenneth and Mary Dean helped run the Ridgecrest Conference Center for several years. And all the conferences there, I guess uh, Sue and Larry would be Falls Church, uh, or uh, Falls Creek, Falls Creek. That's right. Falls Church is in Northern Virginia. Falls Creek is in Oklahoma, and that's where all the big stuff happened. All the grand experiences we would have there. It would be like, it would be like, I don't know if Irvin, Irwin, if you went, but it, it was like the gods from Nashville had descended from the Sunday school board and spent time with us mere mortals. Music week and missions week and youth week. It was wonderful. Things can happen on mountaintops, ordinary mountaintops. You can see sunrises unlike you can see in the valley. It's like God pops the lid on a can of orange paint and spills it over all creation and the earth warms. You can see sunsets on mountaintops. You can't see in the valley. That as the sun seems to balance like on the razor of the horizon, and then falls are off, and the earth begins to cool, and you know that you've seen something holy. There are things that you see on top of a mountain you don't see other places, and this was certainly true for Peter, James, and John. They go up with Jesus, Jesus is praying, and then he is transfigured in front of them. He begins to, well, kind of like, hold on a minute. It begins to, uh, I don't know, float and glow like a fluorescent light, as Raphael pointed it. He was accompanied on either side, as you see, by Moses and Elijah, the symbols of the prophets and the symbols of the law. Now, being a bit of a mystic, accent on bit of mystic, maybe the writer is saying that uh, they were able to see something about Jesus that always existed, but they only saw here. Maybe he was always surrounded by Moses and Elijah, but they were too busy in the valley to see it. Maybe he always glowed with the illumination of the Spirit of God, but they were so blind in the valley with their to-do lists that they couldn't see it. Peter says, let's build some dwelling places, some booths up here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I like that line that Daniel read, and he didn't know what he was saying. You ever do that? You know, you just uh, blurted out kind of a Tourette's moment, and, uh, and, and your significant other said, I, let me apologize for him. He, he didn't know what he was saying. That happens to me all the time. Well, yeah, he didn't know what he was saying. I see it sort of as a selfie moment. Smile, Jesus, Moses, Elijah. He wanted to stay up there on the mountain, don't we all? You can tell the story of the mountaintop and leave off the valley. On the other hand, you can tell the story of the valley and leave off the mountaintop. Because in the valley, that's where there's work to be done, as we see in the Raphael painting. In the valley, that's where we, we have our nose to the grindstone, our eye on the ball, our ear to the ground, 
our shoulder to the wheel, our hand to the plow. Don't wonder, there's nothing much left of us by the time we get to church on Sunday. You know, worn down, worn out. That's what happens in the valley because we're busy getting our work done. There are gardens to weed on our hands and knees, fields to harvest, mud and sweat and tears. In the valley also, you have desperate fathers worried about their sick sons. In the Raphael painting, it contrasts the light above and then the darkness below. You can see the family on one side of the painting, and it looks like a knife has cut right through the middle, doesn't it? A gap there. The family is on the right side of the painting, and everybody is staring at somebody on the left side, and vice versa. Everybody except the deranged boy notice the hollowness in his eyes. They're rolled back in his head. His mouth is open. It is like something has eclipsed himself. And there's not much of him left. His father is supporting him behind. Perhaps his mother there kneeling in front. Somebody in back, maybe a friend saying, We need some help here. Can't one of you disciples help? And all the disciples on the other side of the page, well, there's a lot of finger pointing going on, right? Blame me. Well, we're trying. We're doing the best we can. Some are pointing up, well, you know, we would do better if Jesus hadn't abandoned us. And then there's a guy with a book down there. He's looking up WebMD, trying to figure out what to do next. Now, hold still two parts of this and one part of that. And they're all frustrated, and there's a dividing line between. That's the way it is with things in the valley, floating above and fighting below, crazed eyes. You heard that Jesus shows up amid all of this, and it's not a happy Jesus that shows up. You remember what what Jesus says? He says, you faithless and perverse generation, how long will I put up with you? How long am I going to stand for you? Bring this child to me. You wouldn't quite call this a Mr. Rogers moment. (laughs) Would you? It's not a beautiful day in Jesus' neighborhood. Can't explain his uh, upsetness, but there it is. But finally, bring the child to me. They bring the son, and Jesus rebukes the spirit, heals the boy, and gives him back to his father. That's the punchline of nearly every miracle or sign story. But we're so enamored by the magicians, uh, nothing up my sleeve, and the, the sparkle and mirrors, that we overlook the real power, which is that one which has been marginalized and alienated, has been returned. A little bit further on in the Luke story, The ten leprous persons comes to see Jesus and need healing. And Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests. In other words, go to the CDC. Get cleared because you can re-enter community. You don't have to live in isolation anymore. That is the greater and the greatest of the healings because family and relationship is restored. You can tell the valley story without telling the mountaintop. But we put them together and tell them together 
because neither, neither one alone tells all of your story, does it? Or mine? That part of our story is this glorious thing. Part of ours is this dilemma that we're in. Tell me if this has not happened to you. One moment, you're on top of the world. You made the sale. You got the degree. You won the case. You got the promotion. You saw the kids out of the terrible twos. You got the world by the tail, and it's time to retire, all on the mountaintop. And then, um, this, is, uh, this is the nurse practitioner. Uh, the doctor has seen the test result and asked that you come in and talk with her. Oh. A call comes from a next-door neighbor of a family member. I've known your family member for years. It, I may be out of line in saying it, but we're worried about his memory now. It's 2008. Your fund for retirement turns into a flat tire. All this happens to Jesus, too. He heals somebody. The people say, great. And then the next chapter, chapter, the enemies say, let's kill him. There is this awkward oscillation to life. The Cajun two-step of Mardi Gras. Let the good times roll. One moment. And then just a closer walk with thee. And the dirge, the next. On some days, it's glory days. And the next day, it's the grind of everyday life. I remember coming back from those highs at Ridgecrest and, and at Glorietta. Oh, the music that we heard. Oh, the teaching that we received. Oh, the education that was there. I'd come back mad at the church because it had been so good. I came back and I'd listen and the tenors were sharp. And the altos were flat. The choir couldn't sing. The deacons didn't deke. And the teachers don't teach. I went all the way from the mountaintop and jumped off and landed. Yeah, we all miss the mountaintops, don't we? But more meaning of life is found in the valley of need. I've wondered what would happen if Peter had gotten his wish. Let's just build these three booths and we'll stay here. And uh, Jesus said, okay. I wonder how the text would have changed. Like James would have said, isn't this something? And then John would have said, wasn't that great? And then Peter would have said, hasn't this been wonderful? That's good. But then someone comes up and says, uh, Peter, on the mountain, how, how many sick people got healed? Uh, uh, Peter, how, how many needy folk got helped? Um... Uh, how many uh, marginalized folk have been included? Uh, how many sick sons were returned to their desperate fathers? Uh, you see, it is in the valley that the hard work of healing happens, where we are called to be. I think of our Methodist friends this week. Bet you have, too. They've been going through an interesting time as they went through a difficult vote regarding um, upping the ante, making it more difficult 
uh, more restrictions regarding marriage for same-sex marriage and also LGBTQ clergy. Um, I have reached out to some of my Methodist friends, and I started my email by saying, uh, it's all our fault. The Baptists have been a bad influence on you with our divisiveness. Some have written back and said, thank you, I feel your pain. For one thing, I want to say, give us our motto back. Open hearts, open minds. We, we, we want that back. But our hearts go out to them. They are in the valley right now. And it feels bad. And that's okay. After all, it's in the valley that churches hang out their shingle. It is in the valley that we hoist our flag. The valley of the shadow of death is the church's home court. And we are the only institution that claims that because we are not corporately measured by success, are we? We are not driven by the engine of competition, are we? But the church sets up shop in the valley and looks beyond the hills from whence cometh our help, for our help comes from the Lord. No wonder on the mountaintop the, the disciples were weighed down by weariness. Look where the church is located. No wonder today's epistle lesson whispered, we have this transforming ministry, but we do not lose heart. What do we do? What do we do when it feels as if we might lose heart? We come close these days, don't we? As several of you have said, I just hate getting an email from you, James, that begins with the words, Congregational Concerns. Well, you think if you hate opening it, you'd really hate writing it. To write that the bare, bloody knuckles of death are knocking on our door again. What do you do when you are about to lose heart? Well, here's the radical thing. We lift up our hearts. Imagine that. Imagine that I'm going to stand behind that table in just a little bit and say, lift up your hearts, and you're going to say, we lift them up to the Lord, remembering the mountain of joy. I'll say, lift up your hearts. You'll say, we lift them up to the Lord, even though we feel the gravitational pull of the valley of grief. I'll say, lift up your heart, and you'll lift them to the Lord, who knows of nights of suffering and death and resurrection. This table has everything we need. Cup of the mountaintop. Bread for the valley. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Amen.
It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation for response and dedication is given. We sing a song of dedication today that puts our lives in God's hands, just like the bread that's broken, like the cup that is given. It is our opportunity to respond to the Spirit of God that hovers near us right now. Let's stand together and sing. each time we gather, we bring celebrations and concerns, and I bring a few of those to you this morning. First, after the service this morning, there will be a family breakfast in the fellowship hall. You already heard a preview of that, Waffle House. Uh, if uh, Jake Bombstark isn't going before, he is going now, based on his expression. So be looking forward to Waffle House in a moment. And Lent is upon us. Ash Wednesday will be here um, in, a, in a matter of days. It's hard to believe that Lent is already here. We have put a, an insert inside your order of worship that gives a preview for the major days we'll be observing in Northside Drive Baptist Church for Lent, including the Ash Wednesday service, our Thursday Lenten services, and the other services noted. Be sure to look at that. Also, in the narthex as you leave, the adult education team um, and Dr. Steve Sheely, okay, really Dr. Steve Sheely, um, has provided the congregation with this Lenten devotional. 
Um, there are about 70 of those. There should be enough for everyone uh, to, to grab one on the way out. Dr. Sheely wrote uh, every word in this devotional, and they are rich words. So may they enrich you over these next 40 days. We have several celebrations to announce. You may have heard in the life of the congregation in my prayer, uh, new life in the life of the congregation, new grandchildren, uh, Micah, new grandchild to our own Mike Egan, and Caroline Olivia, who is a new grandchild to Liz and James Lampkin, uh, Josh and Emily, who live in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, gave birth last week, and they'll be seeing Caroline Olivia tonight, hopefully. So we pray for safe journeys for you, and congratulations to those families. We talked about the highs and the lows, and there are some, some lows, and we keep praying for many in the life of the congregation. I'll just mention a few. To, for Barney Moore, who's in rehab, who, who is struggling at this hour. For Larry Prince, who suffered a difficult night last night, according to Sandra, this morning. And for uh, death, the death of Steve Sheely's father, Charles. Uh, a memorial service will be planned later, but uh, Steve uh, and family are there with their family now. Um, we pray for them. We continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings, and Dr. Irwin Ray will be leading the choir uh, in Be Thou My Vision. Uh, Dr. Keith Walker is at a music conference this weekend, so we pray for safe journeys for him. And thank you, Dr. Ray, for being here. We look forward to continuing our worship.
Let us prepare to receive her Holy Communion today. And as you can see, I am assisted by Bo and Van and Mary Francis and Ava Grace. We will receive communion by standing in tinction. As we come up the center aisle, receive either from this place or that place. There's cup and bread. We'll let the choir come first, and then the congregation will come through. Let us read now responsively the Sorsum Corda. The peace of Christ be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, mighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with all the company of heaven, who forever proclaim the glory of your name, singing... You may be seated. On the night of Jesus' suffering and death, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup. And having given thanks, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. We celebrate the memorial of Christ's redeeming gift, O God, through this meal that speaks of both sacrifice and thanksgiving, recalling Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. We celebrate these holy mysteries. Sanctify us and your entire church that we may remain faithful in love and hope as we follow Jesus Christ our Lord. And hear us, O God, as we join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. All of God's people are welcome at this table. So take these gifts in remembrance that Christ died and was raised. Therefore, let us come to the table in thanksgiving and hope. Amen.
Let us stand together for the prayer of thanksgiving. All loving God, we give you thanks for having refreshed us at your table as we have celebrated the presence of Christ. Deepen our faith, increase our love for one another, and send us forth into the world in strength and in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus the Christ we pray, amen. And as we prepare to go to a time of joy and celebration down in Fellowship Hall, joining with our children in this uh, day of celebration, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day.
as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.